We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek Ciapala with my co-host, former Los Angeles Rams defensive back, Michael Stewart, on a live post-game of the LA Rams 2013 win over the Cleveland Browns on Sunday Football. Our cohorts in crime, Butting Heads, actually did the full post-game last night. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to give our takes on the game. We're going to do a Q&A with Twitter users. 
They gave us a lot of interesting questions and made a lot of colorful remarks, which I won't repeat on here. But overall, it's going to be a fantastic show for us, for you, hopefully. Hopefully you'll like the show. It's one of the rare times we go live because I'm a train wreck when it comes to talking live. So here we go. Here's nothing. Mike, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing real good, buddy. Ready to get after it. Excited about a great win for our Los Angeles Rams. Let me ask you one question, though. You know, I have to always ask how those Bakersfield drillers do on Friday night. Man, those drillers did well Friday. We had a bye, so we got <laughs> some rest. <laughs> got to go out and scout some other teams, but uh, we got a game this Friday against a good Sierra Canyon team uh, down south in the L.A. region, so uh, we are ready to get ready to rock and roll. What's your record now? We're 2-2. Two and two. Two and two. Two and two. And so this will be kind of the last of our non-conference games. And then we start league next week. All right. Well, good luck, man. Good luck. I know you're doing great things down there, changing some things up, making some some positive system moves. And uh, it sounds like the kids are are picking up into it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We we got some – great things going and so we just had our first grade check so we got some guys we're gonna have to put in some study hall and get some tutoring and so but overall it's been good on and off the field so we're excited about where the program is headed cool man cool well folks as much as we love talking high school football that's not why we're here not why we're here we're here to talk rams browns all kinds of things to talk about from that game. Before we do, we want to just say this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollow's Team. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music. By the way, the Apple Music, don't forget to subscribe. Leave a five-star review. It helps us out, helps move us up the charts. And now we are a full Rams network, a Rams podcast network, Rams Uncensored, Budding Heads, Rampage Radio is back, and the Rams Brothers, we have a full week Almost every day of the week is packed. Just Saturday gives us the buy before we turn things around and start again. Also, with Apple Music, we have a contest, as always. It just never seems to end. Slowly moving. 205 star reviews gets you entered for a $75 gift to NFLshop.com. You can get anything you want, Rams. This is how it works. Head on over there to Apple Music, leave a five star review, send us an email at RamsTop1945 with a copy of your entry, like a screenshot. So we know who to enter in. We'll also read your feedback on the air. As always, Rams and Center has a t-shirt. Get with Ram Tommy in LA if you want to check that t-shirt out. It's a nice one. And also, before we go, sorry, one more promo. Here's our partner's promo from, that's right, the Big Heads Podcast Network. Check it out. Take a deep breath in. Now count to ten. There. Don't you feel better already? No. Why not? Oh, that's because that's anger management crap. Join me and learn real ways to overcome your anger. I share my own struggles and journey to break free of destructive anger. I will give you ideas and insight that will bring you to a place of healthy anger. Yes, there is such a thing. Learn how on that anger management crap with Matthew Plotner. All right, so here we go. Rams 20, Browns 13. I was there. It was loud. It was crazy. I can tell you flat out that it has been an awful long time since I've been to a Browns game. 
because I mean, my family is almost all Browns fans, and it's felt like a playoff atmosphere. That's what it felt like tonight. It was just juiced. The place was totally juiced, and the Browns came out and played like it. But Rams leave with the 2013 win. Mike, what were your initial thoughts? Man, my initial thoughts were, what is going on? Are they going to make it a game like this? And then it's, you know, you got to bring everything and put it in perspective. We are in a row. We're in their backyard. Uh, they've played well at home. And so just a matter of time to, to get those things to finally click down the stretch. Well at home? They just got pounded by the Titans there, man, two weeks ago. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, overall, over the last, you know, I'm going to say season and a half with well, kids fight being at home. They fight people at home. They, they tend to <laughs> – I, mean, I mean, that's the best way to say it. They, they've, they've struggled, but they do fight people at home. They give, they give people – they gave the Packers a game a couple of years ago. I thought they had no business being in that game, but they did. But it's, an, it's a neat place to watch a game. I gotta tell you, I mean, it's one of my some of my favorite memories. Unfortunately, because I grew up in Northeast Ohio, I didn't. I mean, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of Rams football live whenever they came to Cleveland. It was pretty much like to see them live, and um, it's just a really gritty and neat place to watch a game. I know gritty and neat sounds a little bit different, but I couldn't think of a better word combination to watch a game. I'll get more into it later. Stats first. Stats first. The total team stats, I run through them briefly. I know they ran through it last night. Rams, 345 yards. Cleveland, 270. Passing yards, 255 to 175 for the Rams. Cleveland outran the Rams, 95-90. Average yards per play, 5.4 for the Rams, 4.3 for Cleveland. And uh, three turnovers for the Rams last night. Two interceptions. Sacks allowed, three for Cleveland, two for the Rams. Cleveland one-time possession. And... Penalties are pretty even, eight seven. I have some thoughts on the penalties and the fishing from that from that one, but we'll save that for later. Ram stats: Jared Goff twenty four thirty eight for two sixty nine, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Todd Gurley fourteen carries for forty three yards, with an average of three point one. Malcolm Brown had three carries in this game, by the way. So if people were thinking that the uh, the whole split thing was going to happen, nah. Uh, Brandon Cooks led the team in receiving eight catches, one hundred and twelve yards receiving yards. That is. Cooper Cup had 11 catches for 102 yards and two touchdowns. Hey, Mike, you think the team missed Cooper Cup? For sure. <laughs> for sure. You had that, I mean, you, it, it was obvious, right? It's been obvious. I mean, that, you had that awkward pause there, too. I didn't know what to do. Like, uh, hey, we're live. And he's <laughs> an awkward pause. 11 catches, 102. Man, can I ask you, I mean, honest question. Think back to last year. and You know, you and I, we really broke things down late. Can you tell me? I mean, the, oh my goodness! I'm looking back at that Super Bowl and 13-3, a loss. Look, think back to some of the offensive woes late in the year. How much of a difference do you think Cooper Cup would have made? Well, it's obvious he made a big difference before, and we can tell he's making a greater difference already starting off. I mean, that was you know Jarrett's kind of. You know, every quarterback has the guy who bails him out. And so I saw that a lot last night when he felt like he needed a player. Or we needed a play. You know, Cooper Cuff was a guy who was bailing us out every time. And it was neat to watch him just continue to be that guy. And he's a better player now than before his injury. I think it's pretty clear now. A much better player now than before his injury. For the – one. 
No, I was going to uh, just say, yeah, I, I totally agree in the sense of, you know, sometimes when you get that injury, you're able to really zone in and, and focus more. And, and not to say that the level of the game wasn't there before, but you can absolutely tell that he really enjoys being back out there. And so that's exciting to see. Well, on, the, on the Cleveland side, Baker Mayfield, 18 of 36 for 195, what t- one touchdown, one interception. Rushing, though, Nick Chubb, 23 carries for 96 yards, 4.2 average receiving. And their leading receiver, well, yards-wise, is Jarvis Landry, 3 for 62. Odell Beckham, 6 for, 6 for 56. Mike, if if I'm the Rams, I'm happy giving up 6 for 56 to Odell Beckham. I'm just saying. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, anytime you can limit uh, you know, the big play ability from both of those guys, you know, Beckham and Landry, you're you're doing a great job defensively. And, you know, anybody who plays in the secondary, you know, if you withhold the star on the other team under, you know, a hundred yards receiving, you probably had a pretty good day. So overall, looking at the stats, watching the game last night. What is your – what do you make of this Rams victory of the Browns? What was your takeaway from it? Well, my takeaway is it just still seems to me that the guys are just not really in sync, a little sluggish at times, and things are moving somewhat slower than what they should be at this time of the year. But, you know, I just – again, I say that's just because when you're not playing guys – during the preseason, like the Rams have decided to do, then typically this is game three, and by next week, game four, all those guys will be in what we call plan shape for uh, NFL season. So I look for things to continue to improve, but things just seemed a little out of sync all the way through. You know, for and from my end, I I look at this game and think, okay, you know what? I was concerned this team could be with a few unlucky plays, an unlucky injury, just the fact that these opponents were tough. The Panthers were tough. Their record didn't say it, but they're tough. The Browns were tough. They gave the Rams all they could handle last night, and of course, you know, the Saints were tough. They very easily could have started 0-3, and they're still 3-0, despite the fact they have not played their best football. And it's not even been close, by the way. They have not, they have not played even close to their best football yet this year, and they're still 3-0 and in first place in their division. I wonder now, though, what's next in terms of making that step, because I think in a lot of ways you can go back and question the preseason and the lack of reps, but there's also a few problems in the interior line that are making it pretty obvious that the offensive line is just not in sync. And Jared hasn't been in sync yet. I mean, Jared, when he's off, he's when he's off, he throws high. It's almost 95% of his misses are high. We saw that a lot last night. He throws off his back foot, but a lot of that comes with pressure. So we're going to address some of that stuff later on because I don't think it's just a matter of, the, of Jared Goff. Jared Goff is taking so much heat in Ram circles right now, and I'm not sure it's deserved. But in terms of you mentioned the you mentioned the problems like the reps, but what are other concerns you have right now about the Rams after this game? One of my big concerns is still uh, my main man Todd Gurley. I watched uh, I think it was probably the third series on offense, 
he ran into the line and it looked like he was going to try to make a jump cut to his right. Couldn't do it. Ended up just kind of getting stacked up in the pile. And I watched how he was getting up and he was just real kind of slow getting up. So to me, there's something wrong with the left leg where he can't make those natural cuts to his right. He's just kind of straight ahead. But if he tries to make a jump cut or a hard plant with that left leg, it just seems like something is going on. But he's had these kind of slumps before, too. And so differentiate because, you know, his rookie year, he was great, came in his second year and struggled early on and found his groove. In the past seasons, he's, he's looked off, and now he's not so off. You know, when we're here in last week, he was fine. So what is – the difference to you because to me, I don't see a lot of holes open up for him early on in games. I don't see him able to make that cut and go because there isn't room to go. And you're saying, well, he doesn't seem to be able to make that cut the way he used to. How do you know it's not the fact the offensive line's missing some holes here, or is it just what you're saying? I mean, what, what are you seeing that's different than what I'm seeing? Well, what I'm seeing is a guy who sees it, but his body is not able to react to what he sees. And so, therefore, it looks like, you know, he's reading the right holes, but it's like his legs aren't able to catch up with what his eyes are seeing. And so it just looks like he's just kind of running in there and, you know, getting tackled and holes aren't there. You know, I would have liked to have seen uh, Brown in there a little bit more. He got in a few plays, but... You can just tell a whole different type of runner when he's in there. I mean, he's literally running harder, pushing the pile. He's trying to get an extra yard. And he has the ability, looks like his feet are under him, where Todd doesn't look like. He's running like almost uh, like he would be running in heavy mud. So, yeah, you're running, but there's no quickness to it. And so I understand about the the idea of having – you know, a slump, if you would, for a running back. But you would never say that about Barry Sanders. You'd never say that about Marshall Falk. You would never say that about Eric Dickerson. You never say that about the guys who are great running backs in the game. So that's concerning to me in regards to, you know, these guys have their own personal trainers and things like that. And, you know, we hear about the pitch count and things like that. But just from a running standpoint, running downhill and running hard, that's what I see is missing in his game right now. Well, I mean, I saw the field. We see it normally. We see it, you know, basically horizontal. I was sitting, looks vertical from where I was sitting. So I'm seeing the up and down version. And what I was seeing, I was literally seeing nothing happening. They send him to the left, they send him to the right. There's no movement in the line. I can say he did look a little. I want to say apprehensive, like he wasn't sure of where the hole would be. Like there was a hesitation to his movement. But I didn't see anything with the cut. But then again, I'm, I was further away, so I can't necessarily see what the TV's showing either. I can see the holes that were and weren't there. And what I saw was it, they weren't developing. They weren't developing at all, especially early in the game. And later on, when they were able to tuck him inside some, He's able to get, go eight, nine yards. That was an improvement. I just didn't see anything opening up at all for him. 
Well, and I think that's why the Rams drafted as they did, because if if I'm right, the Rams have already seen what I'm now seeing. And so they're already trying to make the transition to the next guy up because I'm sure if if I'm seeing correctly and I don't think my eyes deceive me and you know you're correct there may not be something you would naturally see from a live game unless you're actually looking for it in, in regards to you know running back being able to see the cutback lane and all those kind of things uh, but sure enough it's clear as day on this particular uh, series where he looks to go and he just kind of gets stacked up in the pile so it would look like there was nothing there but if he was able to plant that foot and and go to his right he'd have still been running you know that's how wide the hole was open from where i could see it from our vantage point from watching on tv so uh that being said i think again once certain things start to click a little bit more in the passing game those holes should get a little bit wider for him but a good running back is able to make his own way at some times. And he did a couple of times. Getting in, but it was mostly inside. He didn't really get outside much. And that's where I saw a lot of just hesitation, kind of waiting for something to open, like he's trying to be patient. If I were to read, I mean, to me it looked like he was not confident. And maybe that's it. Maybe he's not making the cut because he's not confident in himself. That was a question we asked a couple weeks ago. Then he responded with a 97-yard game. The question we asked is, are some of his problems mental? And, it, and people would, would probably laugh, but you know, when you have major injuries that slow you down or things that come back and get you like an ACL, and, and trust me because I have it right now, um, you doubt yourself. You doubt your, how you can move, you wonder what you can and can't be comfortable with. You know that at some point last year you got hurt and you had to miss time and you weren't yourself. I wonder if there is any of that mental aspect playing in, in his psyche at all. I don't know, and I, I'm not. Please don't think I'm trying to reach this. I've asked a question before, and then he immediately answered with 97 yards. But it's something to think about in terms of in in-game situation. Do, how do you feel? Do you feel comfortable? to be able to make that play the way you want to make it. And I wonder if that's the case or not. But you mentioned something else, Mike, and you mentioned the feeling like the Rams may be making that preparation, but the numbers don't show that. Malcolm Brown, three carries for seven yards. Daryl Henderson didn't even, didn't even get a carry last night. So if they're looking to transition over more towards Todd Gurley, they're not showing it. because Todd had 14 for 43. The next running back... I mean, running back was Malcolm Brown three, Woods carried twice, Goff ran four times. That includes where he was strip sacked. Uh, Brandon Cooks one carry for eight yards. So it's the numbers, at least in this game, that do not show that they're trying to transition over Daryl Henderson. Well, what I'm saying is, yeah, they're not going to do it in game two or game three. But I'm just saying they're going to go back and look at the same tape as we're talking about it. And they're going to, you know, again, they just paid this guy a boatload of money. So, yeah, are they going to just say, hey, man, you can't get it done anymore. You're out. No, because they know part of the mystique of the Rams offense is based on Tara Gurley being in the backfield and some of the things he was able to do last year. So you got to have that guy on the field because that's going to put somewhat a little bit of fear in defenses 
but my thing is, just from a football perspective, down the stretch, it would not surprise me if you see those other two backs getting a lot more touches. Gotcha. And also for this game, one thing we did see was some great defense, especially in your forte. That's right. The secondary. How did that secondary shut down the man, Baker Mayfield? Yeah, well, I think the shutdown came with a guy named Aaron Donald and Brockers and Clay Matthews because uh, they showed a stat towards the end of the game, and it showed his percentages when he got the ball out in less than 2.0 seconds, and then his passing percentage uh, of when he was after 2.0, and it was significantly different and lower when he didn't get the ball out in that 2.0 or less. So when he was back there getting the ball out really quick, he was somewhat effective. But anytime he had a hold it past that, I mean, he was under duress. And so it was funny, my son, at, right at halftime, he's texting me and he said, hey, dad, you know, it's time for Aaron Donald. To, you know, he's been close. He's been gl- close. And as soon as that third quarter started, he gets a sack. So that had to do with, they had to hold the ball a little bit longer for those guys to get downfield. And when you do that, those guys were getting home. I like how the Rams adjusted defensively at halftime. They really made some moves, especially in the secondary. And even when they gave up that defensive touchdown the first drive for Cleveland, it was perfect. It attacked the Rams' weaknesses that we've detailed numerous times that, that middle. But then... Cleveland didn't do much of anything the rest of the game. They moved the ball a little bit towards the end. That came off a turnover. But yet, when it came down to it, they shut Cleveland down. Baker Mayfield's 18 of 36 in the game. That's not the kind of he. I thought he played better than people give him credit for. I think Rex Ryan came out today and said that he felt that Baker Mayfield was overrated. I, I get tired of that stuff. That's Baker Mayfield played fine. The Rams' defense forced a lot of problems last night. They, that's where the... That's where the credit needs to be given. We don't give enough credit when teams do things well. We we just trash the guy when he doesn't perform well. And that goes back to Jared Goff, too. We'll get with Goff in a minute. But I saw a Browns offensive line that struggled. I saw Baker Mayfield moving around as much as he could to try and make a play. And even though he was 18 of 36, he had one interception at the end of the game, didn't make any major mistakes, kept his team out of trouble. And they gave the Rams all they can handle. So props to the Browns. I now transitioning over to Goff. Goff threw two two interceptions last night. Was fumbled away one. It was pretty blatant too. He had his hand knocked. Second straight week he's had his hand knocked. And what are your thoughts on him right now? I am telling you, uh, I don't know, Jared. Just again, I'm I'm just going to give it one more game before I get to in depth in it but i would like to see a guy of his caliber his now uh time in the league uh play a little more with more consistency and i don't want to say lack of confidence uh but more moxie you know like yeah i'm jared goff and we're here to do damage as opposed to you know he's almost playing like he's a game manager and so that's not the way he's supposed to be playing. He's supposed to be a guy to get back in there and go, let's go downfield and light these guys up. Not that I'm just trying not to get turnovers. Let's 
three and out, and then we'll kick it, and hopefully the defense stops, and then we'll get. So right now, to me, he looks like he's playing more like a, a game manager than a guy who sets the tempo for the game. Well, hold on. I got to ask you this because you're talking <laughs> about Moxie, and there's one set of plays there in that game that stand out to me. And the first play was him running out of the pocket, running for his life, really sliding, taking the late hit. It was a messed up. It was, it was a hard hit. I mean, a lot of quarterbacks are crumpled there. He gets up. Next play, what does he do? He actually runs it again and had a nice gain right off to the, the left-hand side of the line, did very well for himself. And I think that showed some moxie. It showed some guts to go right back and tell the Browns, ah, no, nah, I'm not going to be scared. I'm not going to tolerate this garbage and go get another first down. There were several times in this game that I felt like Jared Goff wasn't getting help from his team on the offensive line. The receivers did what they did. They got open. It was hard for Jared Goff to get the ball to them when he was running for his life as much as he was. It was a different kind of pass rush. The Browns were doing a great job getting in on the interior of the line. They really took advantage of Jamil Dunby a couple times. There was one, I don't know if you, you remember this play, where Brian Allen had um, Ogajobi, okay? He had him and then slid off to take the next guy thinking that Dunby would be there, and Dunby wasn't there. Remember that play? That was a sack Ogajobi yeah, got. yeah. And yeah. there they took it they took some serious advantage of the interior of the Rams line a lot in this game. And if you are to me, if you're any quarterback who is trying to run an offense and you are getting pressure up the gut as easily as the Browns were and the Browns defensive line, by the way, is very good. I think it will be very hard for you to have the kind of game that you would want to have. I know, I mean, a couple of our staff members were like, if Goff doesn't go deep when they have their whole secondary out and doesn't make some big plays in this game, then it it really shows he wasn't justified for that contract. And I, I hesitate to say that because that front seven for Cleveland did not give Goff the time to really think downfield fast. He threw a lot of outs, and his outs, for the most part, he for the most part, they were great. He, there were some out passes that were... Very impressive that only certain quarterbacks in the league can make. He did make that one throw that was low, called interception, although I didn't think it was. I think the you know, ball touched the ground to me. Um, but I thought overall, given the situation on the road, Sunday Night Football, I thought Jared Goff showed a lot of guts last night. It wasn't his best game. He, threw, he overthrew quite a few receivers. Uh, he was behind a couple receivers as well. But given what he was facing up front, I thought he played his head off. So, D.C., let me ask you one question. Is Jared Goff my high school quarterback or he's the NFL Ram quarterback? Clarify. Are you talking like, you know, the guy who's yeah. out of the spread? Or are you talking, are talking about the kind of guy who is going to be the franchise who will do what John Elway did all those years? I mean, what, what are you – is that what you're asking? Yeah. So, so my, my question, rhetorical as it may sound, is simply this – Jared Goff is a big boy. He's now in his third season in the NFL. He has a nice contract that will take him many years down the road. And so as much as we want to say 
hey, he's not a big boy. No, he needs to be a big boy because you got to figure it's not like games are going to get easier. It's not like schemes are going to be more difficult as they, again, get more tape. They find more rhythm in how Coach McVay calls his games. All those things play to the positive of the opponent. Now, that being the case, that's where, you know, as a team, you have to continue to get better in all phases because it's three phases that are going to help you win the game. But specifically in Goff's case, you got to figure he's been throwing all offseason. He's been throwing all summer. And as many errant throws that were last night, some with pressure, some without, he's a big boy now. And he's got to be able to be consistent at that area where it's not a situation where you hope that, oh, he's all, he have an off game. Oh, man, he's on tonight. Oh, man, he's off. To, no, he needs to be on every single night whether you're getting uh, a rush or no rush. I mean, I watched some of that uh, Raven and Chiefs game, and you're watching Pat Mahomes do some things, and you go, wow, pretty interesting. So if this uh, Jared Goff is going to be up there with the best, he has to just get a little more consistent. Again, that's my opinion. I mean, I don't. I actually agree with you. I mean, just because I'm defending Goff in terms of the total – Gameplay. My only argument is he's taking too much heat. Like, if you go on Ram social media, and you'll see in our Q&A, people are hitting Goff hard. And I'm saying, listen, there's more to it than that. Goff, like I said, he made some, he had some throws go high last night. He was off, he was behind a couple receivers. He had, I want to say it was Robert Woods. He had Robert Woods down the middle. And right there. And if Woods catches that ball, he's gone 15, 20 more yards. And he threw behind him, and <laughs> my gosh, that um, it, that just drives me nuts. And that the was it the um, was it the twenty interceptions threw into coverage or four Browns around him? Was it the interception? It was either an, it was either interception or a lucky incomplete. It was the same kind of throw, though. There were a bunch of Browns just waiting there for him because the Browns were doing the same thing that the that the Panthers did, that the Saints did. They're, they're going that 6-1 defense, and they're letting their secondary sit back and try and contain them underneath and so they don't go deep. So Goff needs to do better about making those reads. He's still not there. He's still, he's still eyes, he still eyes his receivers. And so I'm not, don't think that I'm sitting there saying he's off the hook. He does need to be better. But I also think... That that offensive line is a big part of that, and if you want this guy to continue developing, you need to have an offensive line that's protecting him long enough to keep going through those reads. He didn't. I mean, that's that thing is a fair observation too. Yeah, no doubt, and and you know I think what we're saying a little bit of the same in the sense of yeah, it's not everything is on him whether it's going good or bad. But what you don't want to have in a close game as this ended up being is your quarterback being a little underneath, a little over the top, a little off here, because those at the NFL level, those are turnovers. And turnovers are what usually decides a game, especially when you're on a drive for whether it's the 
you know, you're trying to get the winning, get in position to kick a winning field goal, or you have to get in position to score. You don't want to have, oh, I'm a little off tonight, and it's an interception because you airmail a ball, and you should have had a first down or a touchdown, and now you have an interception, and the guys are running back, you know, 85, 90 yards for a touchdown. So all I'm saying is I'm, I'm looking for for him just to be consistent, meaning take what the defense gives you, but you have to make the right reads at the right time so that you do make the right throw to the right person when they're open, not when they're not. I mean, it was, to me, the way he performed out there, though, it was gutsy. He didn't have everything last night. It was gutsy. I mean, if anybody wants to argue he wasn't out there playing his head off, they're going to be wrong. But he does need to be the franchise quarterback. When you go right back, wrapping back around your question, is he a high school quarterback or is he a franchise quarterback? I'd say he's not a high school quarterback. He's beyond that now. He He's not quite to what the Rams are paying him to be yet, though. Fortunately, at well, time. Well, that's, yeah, that, I mean, but I think that's where the effect of the girly effect needs to come into play because, you know, you have to, a lot of those plays that they were able to make last year, last season, came off a lot of the play fake or play play action, but that's because they had the run game going. Once they shut down a run game, then even though you're trying to run the play fake plays, you know it's, it's not really a fake and it's not really fooling anyone as opposed to they've been gashing for six or seven for eight for 10. Uh, then the backers really have to snuggle up and, and come up when they see what looks to be a handoff. They have to honor that. But once they've stopped that and they tell, they can tell that you're just becoming one dimensional and you're just throwing the ball over the, the field then that plays into a defensive strength. And so the combination of getting the run game going along with consistency at the quarterback position should pay big dividends for a number of these games coming uh, up in the next few weeks. Well, and also, just before we move on, we we have our Q&A coming up. I did want to note, again, I, I was there last night. I wanted to share with you all the experience I had because, yeah, on the West Coast, you get used to seeing how the Rams do things and how the Rams partied up out here in the Midwest. I got to tell you that I grew, I grew up around a bunch of Browns fans and they have not had any reason to really celebrate for 20 years. It's been hard. If you are a Cleveland sports fan over the course of the last half century, the Cleveland Cavaliers winning a title made things different, but the Browns appear to be on the right path. They have some things to fix they, I mean, they really do. They, they could have won last night's game. Some better play calling, some more disciplined play. This game may end up differently. But to, to tell you that I can go back to when I was a child at age 11 going to my first Browns game. It was a, for a preseason game. It was the Browns in Tampa Bay. <laughs> I remember the halftime show was Waylon Jennings. That place was rocking for a preseason game, the old Cleveland Municipal Stadium. I know you've played there, right? You played there, didn't you? Oh, for sure. Okay, I mean that place—the real a, dog pound. It, it was a dump too, you know. But it was it was Cleveland's dump, and they were proud of that dump. Um, and I just over the course of years, I've been back to to see them play the Steelers and 
just because the family goes and they never really had that atmosphere again. It was a again, this is a preseason game. This is back when the Browns were good in 89, 88. Going out there for this game last night reminded me of what it meant for that team out there years ago. That, that was a playoff atmosphere, if I've ever seen it live and in person. It was Browns fans having their biggest game on Sunday Night Football. It was a rowdy crowd. I can tell you, going in, I was wearing my Ram stuff, and I was getting, I was getting harassed so badly. <laughs> People were left and right just going at me, and uh, it wasn't anything that was too horrible. But it was neat to see passion for the game, and I'm looking forward to seeing that same kind of passion for when the Rams move into their new home stadium. And you know, I know. People like the Coliseum, but it's just not an NFL stadium. And the, the kind of pride that you play when you get in your home, in your palace, and you welcome some team there, you know, because you played in your home field was special to you, I'm sure. And um, it was a really neat experience in such a big, you know, a big high-level game. And that was what it was supposed to be. It was built as this massive game early in the year. And while it wasn't this offensive war that many people thought it was going to be, it was certainly a great experience. And I really encourage you guys in the future, if you just like football, to come out to Cleveland and see a game out here in the Midwest and, and just see it's a little bit different than where you'll find it out in L.A. All right, so real quick, I want to give our sponsors over at my bookie an opportunity to talk to you. Don't forget the promo code. Listen in. Here you go. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. All right, Mike. So we have ourselves a good old-fashioned Q&A. Yes. Are you ready to roll? Let's do it. Okay, so... Cal Jamison at Jamestown Caliph writes, what can the Rams do on offense to score more points? Very simple question, I think. What can they do? Well, simply, they have to get the run game going. And they have to be able to be a little more precise on the uh, spreading their routes out so that it opens up, you know, a, a few more throwing lanes, if you will. So get the run game going open up the uh, passing game as far as the routes in regards to the uh, spreading of where each receiver is in in relationship to the QB. I I think the Rams have done a really poor job thus far in establishing the run early in games. They tend to try and focus on the pass first. There was a question we have later on that asked about this, but They've been zeroing the pass early in games, trying to set the stage for the run. They'll throw Gurley in there here and there. They'll throw Brown in here and there. And then they try and wear teams down in the second half. That's something they were successful at last year a lot. This year, given the fact that it's just a different year and teams know how to play you better now, that they just can't do that. They have to be able to mix it up more. They have to get back to surprising teams again. And right now, they're not able to do that. And a great example of the Rams struggling to really just do things straight and narrow, straight through, was that double reverse. The double reverse last night was thrown to watch. 
but it also told me they didn't have much left in reserve in terms of their standard offense. Does that does that sound crazy to you? Do I sound weird? No, 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 not at all, not at all. Because uh, if you, if you looked at our offense overall, it looked pretty pedestrian, if you will. Uh, you know, nothing super spectacular and things like that. Um, but I also think that, you know, we got a little bit spoiled last year because it was like we're just going up and down the field and bombing people and, you know, last season, especially early on, and then it's just kind of tapered off. So there's a lot of reason why that could be. But I think we saw with Cooper Cup being back, we now have that underneath presence and possession receiver. That's locked down. Now it's just a matter of opening up some of those deeper routes for, for the other guys, you know, Woods and, and Brandon. So, You know, one other thing, too, just to think about it, is I don't remember the Rams really taking a shot last night deep at all. They didn't. Uh, I know there was coverage was good. I don't remember them going really deep at all in the Saints game, at least not much. The Panthers game, Bay Journal locked them down. And I think at some point, you just need to take a shot deep. Even if it's out of the reach of your receiver, like you're overthrowing them. Just to put that in the back of their mind that the Rams are going to try. We haven't seen them really try and go deep much. If that's the case, defense are going to come closer. They're, they're going to get a little more confident they can shut you down. and They need, they need to take more shots, even if it means you're – you're overthrowing somebody to keep it from getting picked off. You got to go for it. Well, yeah, there's some truth to that in regards to you got to make a person think that you're going over the top or they're not going to even back up a little bit. But I, I think it just goes throughout the, uh, the play calling uh, throughout the game and how the situations are lending themselves to what the next play call is, what the next – uh, personnel grouping might be and all those kinds of things. And I think Coach McVeigh, it looks like he's just trying to make sure at the end of the day we have a win in the bank regardless of how it looks. Well, I mean, there's the one play for Cooks against the Saints. That's the only, off the top of my head, the only bomb I can think of. There may have been more, but they do need to be more surprising. They need to be more aggressive. And hopefully can do it in a way that does not, in the end, hurt the team. Rams three, Rams three zero. St. Louis Cards playoff bound. That's at Squirrel Sheep. That's, that's a heck of a name, Squirrel Sheep. He writes, "How can we limit the turnovers we have on offense, and why isn't Daryl Henderson more involved in the offense?" So we'll break that down in two questions here. First, Mike, how can they limit? How can the Rams limit the turnovers they have on offense? Well, those are just. Uh basically fundamental type of situation so i know they'll get back to the drawing board on the different drills they do at practice but the big thing is ball security so you know whether it's jared when he's passing he has to have that mental clock of hey i need to either step up in the pocket move around get rid of the ball uh running backs obviously you love to see running backs fighting for extra yards but a lot of time turnovers come off that and then you know just the air and throws in the passing game. So as you were saying earlier, when you have a guy like uh, golf who's throwing it a little bit high, those are the balls that typically are overthrown, picked by safety, 
or they tip off someone's hand a pick by somebody and those are just turnovers and those are the things that swing momentum so to eliminate those we just got to continue to get back to the fundamentals and and make sure you have ball security uh throw the ball where you're supposed to and if you're a receiver and you're not going to get it don't let the other guy get it i think some of those some of those turnovers especially with golf they are him He's trying too hard to make a play. He's forcing things. The fumble yesterday, he's stepping up, gets then throws, goes to throw. As people are coming around him, you just like you either sometimes you have to eat it. You don't want to eat, but sometimes you have to eat it. And another times you have to move quicker out of the pocket. He's too busy looking downfield trying to make a play when he's in trouble, and that costs you. And the, the one, of course, that one interception yesterday, the out that I don't believe was actually an interception. I get that that was a very tough catch for anybody to make. Sometimes those things happen, but the other one was in coverage. There was a lot of coverage there, and that was just a bad decision. So decision-making has to be better over the course of the entire game, and when you're feeling pressure, you have to handle a little better. I thought Jared Goff did a good job last night in various places under pressure in terms of trying to buy more time, making some gutsy plays, but he still isn't making... Like you said, we use the word franchise player plays. He's not making a whole lot of those. He throws a beautiful out pass, but we're not seeing him throw some of the like even the bomb. Some of the, some of the great plays he made last year. The Minnesota game just keeps coming back to me in ways capable of, and we haven't seen that in a while. So clean it up. You ha- you have to be a little well. You have to be a lot more wise in, in terms of how you, you use the ball. Now Daryl Henderson. This goes back to what we talked about earlier, right? But the running backs and it kind of a turnover thing. We haven't seen him at all, but I think this has more to do with camp. Why do you believe that Daryl Henderson is not more involved in the offense right now? Well, it'll be interesting to see how uh, they go about the rotation because I think part of it is they're trying to make sure Todd Gurley keeps his confidence up. And then the other thing, they don't want to – like I'm thinking, make the transition or the switch too soon because, again, you got a guy, rookie, under contract, and you got a guy who's your big money guy, and you don't want to say, you know, sometimes you go, oh, man, we made a mistake. But I think one of the things that, that may get a little bit overlooked, when a guy goes from that first-tier contract to now a contract that that's all everyone is talking about, I don't care who you are, you're going to think about the numbers a little bit. You know, I know when I was able to sign my free agent contract to go play with the Dolphins, I was like, man, that's pretty cool. Another team wants you. But it was the most money that I had ever made. And so there was a little bit of pressure like, man, I got to make sure I end up with X amount of picks. I got to make sure I show up every game. And sometimes you just put this little bit of extra pressure on yourself that you typically don't do when it's the second, third, or fourth year of the contract. So, at the root of it, though, what needs to change? Well, it's, you know, some of it could be mental. You know, you don't want to put that added mental pressure on yourself that you're trying to press or do too much, and therefore it looks like, man, what is this guy doing? You know, they're garbage now and all these kind of things. Because everything really gets uh, scrutinized under this huge microscope 
as opposed to, you know, hey, there's a guy, he just missed a throw. You know, it becomes, oh, man, he's supposed to be a franchise quarterback, make every throw. Well, that's technically impossible, but that becomes the thought process. Gotcha. Yeah, on my end here, when asking about Daryl Henderson being more involved in the offense, I do want to note this. In terms of Camp and Henderson, I, I do think that he didn't show that he was quite ready yet. He was not really adept to the pro blocking game, and Rams running backs have to block because even the wide receivers run the ball. And those running backs have to block for him. You have to be able to pick up the pass rush. And uh, I don't think Henderson was ready for that yet. So I think we'll see more of him as the year goes on, especially as you're trying to keep Brown and Gurley healthy. But the reason why you're not seeing him evolve right now is because I just think he's not ready yet. He's, he's a young guy moving to a whole new offense, and he deserves to have a little bit of leeway right there. All right, so here we go. We do want to give a shout to our sponsor, and that is Jim Hawk. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history, the personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams through the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and the team he played for an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers, including... Norm Van Brocklin, Elroy, Crazy Hurst, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spend the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hawkwasteam.com and on Twitter at hawkwasteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and oh yeah, the paperback is coming out as well. Also, seriously, it's for a great cause. It's a great cause. For home boy industries, that's who the proceeds are going to. It is a organization that works to get people out of the gang life and back to making them productive members of society. So it's well worth it. Check it out. Jim Hawks will call with seeing great glamour in the 19th these Los Angeles Rams. It's well worth your time. Good Rams history, I promise. Okay, getting back to the Q&A. You ready? Ready, boss. Ready. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, not letting, they're not letting Goff off the hook here. <laughs> this is <laughs> Ran. This is Ran got beats at Ran underscore two one five beats, and this one's a little bit different. He, they said with every defense playing the Rams offense the same way the Patriots day did, will McVay and Goff ever figure it out? And it just so happens that the there's a guy from the USA Today who wrote this article. His name is pull it, make sure I got his name right. It is Stephen Ruiz. And in the article, he argues that, yes, Sean McVay has adjusted the, the offense, and there's, he shows plenty of evidence for that. But then he puts it on Jared Goff in terms of where Jared Goff is not adjusted as well. And um, I think we've been beating this horse pretty well dead in terms of uh, Jared Goff today. But do you have any other thoughts about it with that question? Well, it's, it's, you know, again, it's a question and it's something that obviously we've kind of talked about. And I, I just going to stick to the fact that, you know, Big Jared has to just be a little more uh, loose back there and just play with, you know, that moxie that, yes, I'm a I'm man and, and here we go. So I just think that, uh, again, as, you know, the, the, person who uh, sent the question in, 
makes a good observation that, yes, part of this is play calling, rhythm, things like what Coach McVay is doing. And those kind of things have to be looked at as well because once they figure out how you do it, then they can now defend it. So they're going to have to continue to go back to the drawing board, you know, week in and week out and come up with just a little bit of a new wrinkle so that those plays that look like they're shut down are now back opened up. So, I mean, Ruiz does a good job in terms of explaining the changes that McVay has made. McVay has made several adjustments. They're they're very nuanced. They're very kind of low-key. You won't normally notice them until you go back and look at film. And so you can tell he's been adjusting. Ruiz puts a lot of the blame on Goff and looking at his stats and so on and so forth. But then he also mentions the offensive line, in particular new guys like Joseph Noteboom, Brian Allen being particularly bad, which isn't really true. Brian Allen's actually been pretty good. And Noteboom has been fine. He's still got ways to go yet. But it seems to me that you're automatically in the course of writing this article and you're, and you're pointing out the offensive line, that is a factor. That is a factor in terms of how your quarterback is going to play the game and how your quarterback's going to call the game. If you have a stable offensive line and you're blocking up front, you are giving Jared Goff more time to make progressions, to make some decisions. If he thinks he's going to be on the run as soon as that ball is going, then that's going to change... Jared Gossman title, but yet the rest of the article, Ruiz just he, he just really hammers at at Goff. Goff deserves criticism, but it, to, you're a team, and that offensive line has some work to do. The Rams miss Roger Saffold. they just do, and they probably miss some of John Sullivan's leadership. Even though Sully was getting blown up pretty good at the end of the year last year, and don't forget we were also missing Austin Blythe, Austin Blythe, who was very good for most of the year last year out last week they missed him and so i don't i don't see it as this is a golf problem it's a problem with the offensive line it's some golf and and i don't think like you mentioned earlier todd Gurley doesn't seem like himself just yet well no doubt i mean it's a combination of all of those things you know some line play not cohesive yet uh, golf can help himself out by, you know, just getting rid of the ball a little bit earlier. Uh, Coach McVay can, you know, maybe call some little quick hitters, as we call them, just to get some things in rhythm. Uh, just collectively, everybody needs to step their game up a little bit. But again, I'm going to point and I'm going to keep sticking to this. If you take the approach of, well, we don't play preseason. Okay, well, when the Bullets get live, how do you replicate a real game in the speed of it all? Well, you can't. So I'm still of the mindset that they are all still getting to know each other. uh, And the timing is just a little off because they haven't really played against real defenses at this level and at this speed until the season started. So I I would expect uh, the game next week to be a lot better than that. The last three have been, but we're still three and zero, right? They are, and they have a chance to get healthy next week. They're playing the Bucks. The Bucks are a better. I mean, Bucks are better than they are, and they're and they're talented. But at home, a team that lost to Daniel Jones for crying out loud last weekend. I mean, he lost to Daniel Jones, so they can get healthy in the Bucks next weekend. And if they don't, 
if they still struggle after four games, after a quarter of the season, then it probably is time to start getting a little worried. I'm just saying, at that point, you're getting to the meat of your schedule. You have, you'll have the Seahawks, you'll have the 49ers. That you're getting to some of that beef of that schedule coming in, and hopefully, hopefully it's all right. I just, I am concerned that. Let, let's see if they get healthy this weekend. Here we go, Eric Dreyer at E Dreyer four three five six. Are they, they being the Rams, being too cautious with Gurley? Feels like when he gets going, they start getting pass happy again instead of sticking with the run. Mike? Yeah, I mean, you look at it and you can tell at times it kind of shows on Gurley's face because most running backs will tell you it's a rhythm thing. And the more they get it, the more they get going, the O-line gets more juice, all those things happening, and then a play happens. But if you only get one chance out of every so many plays – you know, that becomes predictable and you can't really just get that rhythm. And so, yeah, they got to stick to it a little bit more. And and that's where, you know, the play calling. Uh, I'm laughing because I saw a little bit of Freddie Kitchens and he tried to pull, you know, Bill Belichick, I guess. You know, he thought he was just being funny and answering questions. But uh, it's just a bad play. Oh, I didn't want that play. Oh, it's just a bad play. And so I'm just kind of laughing like, okay, man, just go with it and you lost. So, you know, those guys who are calling the plays at that level, you got to remember not that they're cocky about it, but they put a lot of time and effort into the play calling aspect and they're thinking and or not even thinking, they're knowing that the plays they're going to call should work on these particular downs. But that's what I love about the game in the competition level of football because no matter what, it still is an individual human game and mistakes will be made or one guy's playing hard on a play than the other or, you know, ball gets tipped up or all those things. But, yeah, no doubt uh, Mr. Dreyer is talking that they need to stick with the run a little bit more, especially early on. And just one more thing, too, about that. It's something that they need to show more commitment. They need to show more throughout the game. It's not just a first quarter, first drive thing. They got to be willing to be the bullies. And a lot of times when they decide they're going to power run, they they do it well. It's just, are you going to be the bully here or not? Are you going to be the team that wears opponents out throughout the game and that way you can like you do with the Panthers they just wore the Panthers out are you going to be that team are you going to be the team like last night that struggled throughout the game to establish a running attack and that's what they need to answer we all want them to run the football they are very deep at running back there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to run the football and it, ne- it needs to happen sooner or later I think those if you can establish that running game more then Goff's job gets easier as well so now, let's see. Here's our last question. You ready? Ready. Here it is. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people have been asking this question for the last year. This is Sergeant Ram VR1961 at VR Fit1961. He says, why all the screens, especially the red zone, they keep trying and it is not working. So why keep trying? Also, I guess it's better to get the struggling over now and kick it into high gear later. Well, okay, good point. 
What do you say? Yeah, I mean, you know, screens are typically something when you feel a team is going to be blitzing you and you catch them blitzing you and then you just dump it off and everybody just runs wide open. But, you know, they're doing what we call jailhouse screens where they're trying to hit the receiver and the line goes out and block or receivers are blocking. And, yeah, it just seems like, again, there's no rhythm in when those are being called. You know, and again, especially in the red zone. So sometimes you can overthink it. And sometimes it just looks like our offense maybe has self-scouted themselves. And therefore like, oh, this is for sure what they're going to do. And they're just overthinking it as opposed to, hey, let's get a man on a man. We're going to pound it up in your face and we're going to take it in. And so... That's where that whole idea like, oh, you know, the Rams seem like they're more of a finesse team. They're not getting after it. And so I agree with what you said earlier. You know, they have to stick with that run a lot more early and a lot more late. And I love that word. They need to be the bully on the block. And they're capable of it. Yes. They really are. That's what. That's why they went out and got these guys like Jones and right. Stein. They, they came from these schools that will hit people. So I want us to do that. Now, also, we can't forget when it comes to the screens, the reason why the Rams like to run them is they usually run those screens to set other things up later on. If they have you worrying about the outside and the screens, they have more things available on the other side of the field, and they will usually take their deep shot once in a while. So can't forget about that. The red zone, I have to admit, though, Mike, when they run those red zone screens, it just drives me bananas because they work once in a while. And it's usually with Todd, but it really works with, say, I don't know, a Gerald Everett. <laughs> and they like to throw it to him. They like to throw it to some of the guys who were a little slower than the ones you would think would be able to, to boom and go. And again, I know it's part of the strategy of just trying to open things up and set. They're trying to set up plays three or four down the line or set up plays for teams to look at on further series. But it doesn't mean that it won't drive me nuts when I see it. Yeah, and that's that's the point I'm making in regards to it seems at times they're overthinking it, trying to get a little too too tricky on certain situations when, no, just go, go at them. And so, you know, the thing is when you're running screens in the red zone, and, you know, I always wonder, and now being a head coach, uh, the idea is, ooh, we get closer, let's pack everything in. But once you get in the red zone, the field is is shrunk. You know, whereas when you're out in the middle of the field and you run a screen, you know, the, sa- the safety may naturally be at a 10 or 12-yard depth, but now you're inside the red zone, well, he may not be at that same 10-yard uh the 12-yard depth because maybe he's already now on the end zone line where you're taught don't back up into the end zone. You're just giving them a way to score on you. So, you know, yeah, I would like to see these things more out in the middle of the field where there's actually room to work a little more. But at the same time, uh, just don't overthink it, man. When you when you get big on big and let's just go and see what you got and we're going to see what we have. All right, folks, that is it for our, mail- our mailbag. If we happen to get a couple more questions in, we'll save them for the midweek show. Why not? Let's answer a couple more. So in the meantime, reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com if you are interested in sponsoring us. We could really use some help keeping the lights on. Also, you can leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. And 
with all that in mind, it is time to go. I'm serious. It's time for us to roll. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. We also have the group Rams Talk Room where we throw all kinds of stuff in there. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo. You can find Mike at OneDuke23. Don't forget us on Apple Music, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, all those places. And with all that said, our post-game show, our Monday night show for this week, is a wrap. For Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy, and we're out of here. We're out of here. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Curry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh, my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.